Welcome to the Relentless Pursuit Podcast. A great task remains, and we all have a role we can play. But what do we do with the questions we have about missions, about walking with God, about ourselves? Well, here's a space for us to wrestle and discover together. We don't have to have it all figured out to take our next step. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm thrilled for today because you get to hear from my friend, Jake. He works now here at Pioneers with me, Um, but before he was here at the base, he was serving overseas with his wife, Melissa, in South Asia. And y'all, his stories today are just some that absolutely wreck me. Um, I'm really excited for you to hear them. We basically just have a really raw conversation about how when Jacob first became interested in going overseas and and working among the unreached, um, God really broke his heart. And, and so I think his stories are just so um, intentional. And, and he explains to us a little bit more about what does it mean to be wholly discontent? Uh, he's going to explain it later in the episode, so I'll, I won't talk about it now, but um, I'm excited for you to hear it. So lean in for a little while to talk with Jake about his time in South Asia. Today is a really fun conversation, y'all, because I get to talk with my friend Jake. Jake, welcome. Hey, Emily. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm really glad you're here. Um, we work in the same office, but I rarely see you. And so we get to actually have a conversation right now and I'm pumped. It feels pretty good. Yeah. It's nice to, to, to see you again, uh, to hear your voice. It's great. Totally. Totally. Your story is one that I treasure. Uh, I know people who hear it and get to um, glean from your experiences overseas are very thankful for them. They're thankful for your experiences. So (laughs) I want everyone else to hear it. So I want to get right into it. Is that okay with you? Let's do it. (laughs) Okay, good. I want you, if you can, to drop us in at the point in your story when you feel like it really became the turning point when now God's glory was on your mind. It was your priority. It was what was happening. So can you, can you think of a moment like that when it actually was like a turning point? Yeah, so uh, let's just jump into the deep end there, Emily. That's yeah, that's totally. great. Uh, you know, when, the episode. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, man, if I had to point to one specific moment, though, um, it was January first um, of some year, and <laughs> and I remember just kind of the Lord telling me to put my face, you know, on the ground before Him, and He just started speaking into my heart, and I had. Um, do you remember like the invisible children and Africa and all, and all that kind of stuff that was yes. many, many years ago? So that was kind of like where my heart was at at the moment and um, just really involved in some of that stuff. And um, yeah, I just felt like in that moment and my face down before the Lord, he was like, I want you to get involved in ministry and specifically in missions. Like I want you to do a trip. And I was like, you gotta be nuts. You know, like this is, yeah. this is not me. I, I think you got the wrong person, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it was really that simple. It sounds kind of wild and crazy, but, uh, had some confirmation from friends and family that, yeah, I should, I should pursue that. And that, only made sense in the context of Africa. You know, it was like, well, that's that's really been the place that's been on my heart, been on my mind. So, um, yeah, let's let's pursue that. And um, what was kind of going on simultaneously 
was my then girlfriend was actually in South Asia um, on a trip, totally separate. Maybe that's you know what the Lord was using to kind of trigger some thoughts in my mind uh, towards missions. But um, while she was there learning and 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 all sorts of stuff, I was you know kind of following along with her journey. I worked at Publix at the time. There was a lady there who was also from South Asia, and so I was kind of telling her about. Uh, about, you know, my then girlfriend's journey, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And she invited me to come to her temple. Um, once Melissa got back, I was like, here in the States. Yeah. Here in the States. I was like, that sounds like a blast. Let's do it. All while I was preparing to go to Africa. Yeah. Um, Melissa got back, shared with me all of her amazing stories and tons of pictures and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And we ended up going to the temple, um, with my friend from work and, uh, it was, I was not prepared, Emily. I, I was, I was completely unprepared for what I was about to experience. What did you expect? What, what do you think you were going to walk into? I, so I was familiar with, at least mentally, I was familiar with idolatry and, um, and world religion and things of the sort, like the, these were things that I was from a, a, like I said, like a conscious standpoint in my mind, I was familiar with them. I was completely unfamiliar with them when it came to my heart. Mm, um, okay. And we went to the temple and I will never forget what I witnessed that night, which was we're sitting there, tons of people around us are sitting in front of an idol. They're doing worship, you know, all this kind of stuff. And as hard and sad as that was to witness the most epic moment, um, was a family with two young children. They couldn't have been, you know, much older than two, three, four. I mean, they were very, very young, um, probably two or three. And, whenever you come into this temple, you ring a bell. So I watched this family come in, the dad lifted up the children individually and they rang the bell. And then they proceeded to go straight forward in front of an idol and put their face down before it, just like I had done, you know, several months earlier when the Lord was speaking to me, put your face down on the ground, you know, and I'm watching these children do that in front of an idol, something that is completely empty, that is man-made, that has no hope whatsoever. And this was in America, you know, and I'm thinking like, whoa, what is it like in South Asia? What is it like? What is Melissa experienced from a heart level that I haven't, you know? So that moment broke me. Um, It messed me up pretty good. It really did. Um, And I left there a different person than when I went in. Like I said, I, I had the, I had the knowledge in my head, but not in my heart. And so when we left there, it, it triggered something inside of me. But at the same time, I was preparing for Africa. So I'm like, I mean, hey, like, I'm still going to Africa. Like, yeah, wow, that was that was impactful. Um, and it's never going to be something that I forget. But it certainly wasn't, you know, like changing my trajectory. Um, yeah. So I went to Africa, very, very remote. You know, it was like, four or five airplanes to get to where we were at teeny tiny little place living in a mud hut for 10 weeks. Were you by yourself in Africa? Were, were no, no. I was, I was, uh, on a short-term trip with edge. Um, it was 
amazing. I'm still friends with my teammates from from then, all these years later. Um, it was an amazing experience. The long-termers that were there were absolutely incredible. Um, I learned so much, but yet at some point in that journey, I felt like the Lord was really starting to remind me of what I experienced at the temple, remind me of the stories that Melissa had told me. And, and I suddenly I felt this burden for South Asia. And I didn't know why. And I didn't necessarily know where it was coming from. And to be quite frank, I, I didn't really desire it or want it. You know, I'm like, well, God, you brought me to Africa. Like I'm here, you know, like, so <laughs> you know, like yeah. yeah, like why would you send me somewhere else? It doesn't make any sense. You know, like I, I don't, maybe I'm hearing wrong, you know, maybe I just don't understand whatever. Totally. Um, well, I made one phone call that entire time. It was, you know, these satellite phones they are like $5 a minute. And I called Melissa, my then girlfriend. And I said, Hey, I really think that the Lord's laying South Asia on my heart. I, I feel like maybe that's where we're supposed to go. And her response was actually completely unexpected, which was, that's so interesting because I've been hearing from the Lord that I need to relinquish any deep desire of going to South Asia long-term that I have so that you and I can envision, you know, what God has for us together without a bias. Whoa. Like together, yeah. together, together, together. <laughs> and, uh, you know, by this point we, we were quite serious already. So it was, you know, it wasn't a huge, like, you know, yeah. shock to my system or anything, yeah. it, it, you know, but it was one of those like, whoa, we're going to make a major decision together. Wow. Um, and how old are you again? When is this happening? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I was, I'm almost embarrassed to say, I think I was 19. Um, All right. Yeah. 19 or 20, somewhere in there. Um, so as a 19 I was or 20, 20, I was 20. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 20. Yeah. So as a 20 year old, I mean, just to catch up to speed here, God is giving you some pretty gnarly insights into, like you said, uh, the world, like world religion. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, at this point, you've got your mind and your heart set on very, well, obviously very different, you know, regions of the world, you know, in Africa and then South Asia. Um, you're very passionate about this woman in your life. You've got, you know, visions right. of spending your life together. <laughs> so there's a lot going on for you um, emotionally. Uh, uh, spiritually, it sounds like God's developing you. So what the heck happened? Like what, where, where did it go from there? How did you, how did you make decisions after that with all of this just swirling around in your head? Yeah. Yeah. So actually on that same phone call, again, like less than five minutes, cause it was so, That's so right. Yeah. It's fast. She goes, okay, well, look, here's the deal. In order for us to go with pioneers, we have to have 30 credit hours of Bible. We have to, you know, do this, do that, whatever. I'm going to make the plan for it. I think I figured out uh, a school that we can go to and get all the credit hours that we need. I will book it and have it ready for you when we get home. And I was like, okay. Let me go Bye. back to my mud hut and finish yeah. my summer and I'll be right there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, you know, uh, the next several weeks of, of staying there, I was kind of like waiting in anticipation of what Melissa was going to come up with. And um, the amazing woman that she is did not fail whatsoever in that regard. Um, she delivered. Exceeded expectations. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, I came back in three weeks after returning from Africa. We left 
to go to Albania um, to do a 30 credit hour like Bible school there um, that specifically focused on missions. So uh, fast forwarding a little bit. Well, can we I actually in- back up for a second? Because oh, I yeah, yeah, you mentioned sure. you were in Africa with the EDGE. And so EDGE, that's a ten- you were on a 10-week program there. And so just to bring mm-hmm. people up to where that is kind of in the pioneers world, that's our summer trip opportunities, like the short-term opportunities we have for college-age students. And so I love that this is something you're mentioning that happened at this point. I mean, over a decade ago was this trip for you. <laughs> yeah. um, and we're still sending college-age students. You know, We're still able to create these opportunities for students to encounter um, these regions of the world for the first time. And so I guess I'm just excited to even say right now that you can still sign up. Like it is not too late for this summer to go. I mean, applications, of course, are going to close soon. But um, if you're listening to this and you are hearing Jacob's story and you are hearing about how that, and obviously your story might not be like his where you get a phone call, you know, while you're on your, <laughs> your edge trip and your life changes. But even the fact that you did go to Africa and you, you tasted it, you saw what was good there mm-hmm. and what the teams were doing, um, that could be a part of your story too. That, you know, yeah. if you're being able to hear this today. So yeah, I encourage you to check it out on our website. We'll have some information below for you to be able to follow those links. But um, the edge is pretty powerful, I'd say, as a as a summer opportunity as a young person. Yeah, definitely. And and I would I would just add one thing to that. Like in addition to my story, I've had the privilege of kind of debriefing and things like that with lots of edgers since then. Right. That have taken yeah. trips and just trip after trip after trip, person after person that I've heard that just have expressed something similar to what I'm expressing of just, it was a life-changing experience. It was just, you know, it shapes a whole new worldview of what God is doing around the world. Mm. Um, yeah. and help you, it, it helps you to have kind of that global perspective. That's right. Um, he is a global God, you know, um, he's one that, that engages people of all kinds in every language. And, um, so anyway, it just hearing those stories year after year, it's such an encouragement. It's just amazing uh, to know that he never sleeps. Um, yeah. Um, so we're in Albania trying to get back there. So we're, we're in Albania and we got engaged during that time, um, which was of course, wonderful and special. Um, but at the end of that time, we decided, hey, like we really at that point were feeling like, yes, South Asia is where we should be headed. Um, and so we decided to do a survey trip, um, you know, just to go check out a few different cities that were there um, and and kind of hear from the Lord and and see how we mesh with some of the other teams. And, you know, if we like the place, you know, I'm you have to remember, like, I've never been there. You know, that's right. <laughs> yeah, six months. But I'm. I feel like I was, and in, in that moment, like I'm making this life decision when I've never even been to this place. Like I could hate wow. it. You know. Yeah. Like, so no survey idea. trip, as in like a weekend, or are you there for a couple of weeks, or what? What was the survey? Yeah, that's that's a good question. We were there about a month, um, and I think we went to four different cities while we were there. So. Um, so we finished up our time in Albania and a friend of ours um, agreed that that was at the school with us. She agreed to go on our survey trip with us to South Asia. So the three of us boarded a plane and we flew out, landed, and Melissa says to me, hey, you're going to hate this first city, 
that we land in. Like, just don't even worry about it. Like, you're, you're not going to like it. Um, I'm like, okay, all right, that's a good mental note, I guess. Like, <laughs> That's helpful. I mean, you've got to remember, like, I've never been to this country, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to like it. That's I, right. I don't, I don't really have any idea. Melissa had spent six months there. Um, so I'm like, okay, let's, let's do this. So we land and sure enough, pretty quickly, I was like, yeah, this, this is a rough place. Not idyllic. Not, yeah. Not a big fan of this place. Um, can you share but, why? Like what was making it feel so <laughs> awful, I guess, when you first got there? It's hard to kind of pinpoint, um, but the country in itself is kind of an assault on your senses. It's like you're hit with everything all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, for sure, there's a part of that. Um, just landing, having that initial salt on your senses, assault on your senses, you're just not gonna probably love that location very much. That was probably sure. part of it. Okay. The other part of it was it was just a massive city. Um, I'm not a country boy by any stretch, but I am not a major city boy either. So that that was just a lot of adjustment there, a lot of yeah. crazy cultural stuff going on. It was dirty. It was you know whatever. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So she's like, okay, well, we got to go down to this other city, a little bit to the south. So we went down there. I probably hated it more. Um, it's very touristy. And it it just, so yeah. So at this point, I'm like, okay, I'm over too. This yeah. isn't great. Wow. Um, so then we flew across the country to a different city. Okay. Met up with some, uh, some other uh, some other people there. And they were awesome. Absolutely loved them, getting to know them, whatever. But and I had the workers film. there or, or the national yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. These were workers. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Emily, there's this, <laughs> okay. there's this moment that I got to tell you about. So we were volunteering at this NGO for a couple of days while we were there and we were riding home in a rickshaw. Right, like these the, the little auto rickshaws, little, little like tuk-tuks, you know, like okay. those little yeah, yeah, those yeah. little things. Okay. Um, so it's me, Melissa, and our friend Tina sitting in the back of this thing. And this diesel bus pulls up next to us. Oh my gosh. With one of those <laughs> giant exhaust pipes, right? Yeah. And it's just billowing black smoke into our auto. You know, Melissa and oh Tina, they're they're both wearing like some covering so they can cover their faces. I'm helpless. You know, like I'm just breathing this stuff in going like I'm taking years off of my life (laughs) with every breath. Like this has to stop. Oh my Um, gosh. And I remember thinking to myself, it can't get any worse than this. This place is terrible. It was so hot outside. It was filthy that like diesel exhaust blown in my face. I'm like, I don't understand. Like I'm now 0 for 3. Yeah. Now here's the kicker though. What I knew about the city that Melissa had spent six months in was that it was referred to as the armpit of the country. Right. Wonderful. So I'm 0 for 3 and I haven't even been to the armpit yet. That's what's going through my head. Like, yeah. oh boy, this yeah. is going to be rough. Hopeless. Um, we boarded a train. I'll save you the story there, but it was a quite epic ordeal that ended with suitcases covered in roaches and you know everything of the sort. 19 hours on the train, we arrived. 
And when I got off that train and we were getting into an auto and we started driving around the city, you know, making our way to the place that we were staying, I don't know how to describe it any other way except to say this. You know, when you go home to your like hometown that you grew up in? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's changed a little bit, but it still feels like home. You're like, I'm home. You know, there's just that like kind of comforting, almost like hot coffee in the morning kind of feel, you know? Yeah. That was the feeling that I had in the city. I don't know how to do, I don't know in how the else armpit. to describe it. In the of armpit. In this country. Yeah. <laughs> You're home. Yeah. And I'm wow. naturally, that's what's going through my head. Like, okay, yeah. I'm missing something or yeah. I'm being wildly fooled because I kind of like this. And we spent the next two weeks, I think, um, in that city. And when I left, I was near certain that that's where we were supposed to be. Unreal. Um, and so Melissa we, felt the we, exact same way. She did too. Okay. So do you chalk this up to like just divine power over you <laughs> that like there's nothing you could have done to ever like appreciated this city, but all of a sudden it was like, wow, yeah, I'm home. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there are two pieces to that. You know, there's there's that initial quote calling to missions. Right. And there is the location that you end up at. You know, there's kind of both. Um, so I'll answer the first one, actually, before I answer your question, if that's okay. Um, missions and that term calling to missions. Um, kind of many years later, I had to wrestle with that term of what what that means to be called. Yeah, because that's kind of intimidating. I mean, when you hear that word, it's like, okay, on the phone, like, is someone going to give me a call? Like, is it going to be written in the sky? I mean, I think that word can sound really kind of cerebral, I guess, as we kind of put it together. But what was it for you? Yeah, absolutely. That, And, you know, I'm hearing my story as it is right now, like it's all been, you know, well, God told me this and God told me this. And, you know, I'm sure listeners are like, but how did you know that? You know, like, yeah. how, how, like, um, Absolutely. How do you discern the voice of God from just your personal desire? And, you know, like, um, here's the, the little, the little like word token that I think is helpful. Um, I don't use the word calling anymore and just kind of talking with other people, things of the sort. I use holy discontentment. Um, and what I mean by that is you are discontent in some way regarding your your life or your location or you know the 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 track that you're on in life. But it's not necessarily um but well, let me say it this way, but it's it's you're desiring something that could not come from you. Um, and that's where the kind of the holy piece comes in. I was desiring to live in this city that is referred to as the armpit of the country. That's right. It was, you know, 9,000 miles away from my hometown, but yet it felt like home. 
And there was just something deep within me that, that was desiring this. Um, the calling, as we say, to missions, I think is a holy discontentment in the sense of there is something that God is stirring within you that could not naturally come from you. Um, there is a desire to do or, or, or to, to follow through on something that just does not make logical sense according to what we're told. Sure. Um, well, know, as, well, I'm curious, you mentioned discontentment. So give us some synonyms of what, you know, what would be like the indicators, almost like the red lights in you of like, oh, this is discontentment. This is the stir. Oh, I guess the word I'm choosing is like a stirring almost, like something yeah. is, just, is is triggered. So what? how else would you be able to describe that experience of being discontent? Yeah, for sure. So from a young age, at least growing up in America, we're, we're told about the American dream, right? Sure. And yeah. What the American dream really plays out to be is, you know, we do really well in school so that we can go to a great university. We go to a great university and do good and have good grades so that we can get a great job that makes plenty of money, have, you know, two children, marry a wonderful, you know, marry a wonderful spouse, right. have two children and, you know, have a great 401k. And that's the American dream. Yeah, you've made it if you can if you can reach that. But there's this piece of you that's going none of that matters. Like that's not actually the goal that you should be pursuing. The goal is what God tells us the goal should be. Um to make disciples of all nations. You know, like that's that's his end goal. That's his dream. That's his vision. And it will come to fruition. Um, are we going to play a role in that is definitely a significant question. But as it pertains to that holy discontentment or that stirring, as you said, it's you're thinking, you know what? I don't, I don't actually want the American dream. There's, I feel like God wants me to do something different with my life. Well, that in and of itself doesn't make any sense because let's be real it's probably a great thing for you to get a great job, you know, have two children and live in a big, beautiful home, drive a nice car and have a 401k. There's nothing wrong with any of those That's things. That's right. Yeah. It, there's nothing wrong with it. But there are some that God says to them, that's not what I want for you. And I think it's, a, I think it is important for us to be listening for that voice and, and addressing what's going on inside of our hearts of, Hey, is that what he wants me to do with my life? If it is, that's wonderful. I can be a sender. I can be a trainer. I can do all sorts of stuff from this side of the ocean, so to yeah. speak. But for many of us, that's not what God is saying. Um, well, this is super interesting because I'm thinking too, and I want to go on with your story, but this is really good because I'm thinking of those who are listening. I'm thinking of myself. I'm thinking of like all these just scenarios of of when we start making decisions of kind of what the trajectory of our lives. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking if I am kind of for the first time encountering a life following Jesus, like being a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples, um, an apprentice of Jesus, whatever you want to call it. But I'm essentially, I am living so that I might become more like Jesus and, and enjoy yeah. him, experience him. So if I hear that if I 
could just, you know, experience a holy discontentment so that I can have a life wearing rags and eating bugs. Like, I don't <laughs> want to do that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. want God to stir me so much and give me discontentment that like, I have to surrender all these things that I really enjoy or like, you know, I love living in America, whatever those feelings are, like, these are the things I already desire. And so I think I'd be too afraid to say, well, I don't want to go all in because if I give, if I, you know, slide that blank check across the table, like I'm toast or, you know, I'm going to have to live in the armpit of South Asia and (laughs) I don't want to do that. So what encouragement do you have or, or what, what's your, been your experience of like, um, and for you, I mean, you mentioned that like, this is the whole idea of the holy discontentment is that you thought your life was going to be something else, but mm-hmm. it wasn't as if you were being drug, you know, bound and drug across the, the, the ocean to this country, you really wanted to go. And so it's yeah. like, God met you in that desire and he amplified it. And so I don't know, what would you tell someone who's like, I don't want to experience holy discontentment. That sounds way too risky. Yeah. Well, you are called to it, um, kind of first and foremost, like you're called to it. Um, w- what I mean by that is experiencing holy discontentment in some capacity. Like you you are called to that as a follower of Christ. You have already made the commitment like, you know, Lord, I am committing my life to you. And it that's more than, that is more than just the forgiveness of sins that is we are his bondservant we we have committed ourselves to to do whatever he tells us to do um and that that moment is when you slid the check across the the blank check across the table you know um and so it you know and i say this lovingly like choose obedience um, you know, like to whatever that amount is that he writes on the check, you know, choose obedience. Um, obedience looks so different to, to so many of us and, and God asks us to do all different things. Uh, we have wonderful friends, wonderful supporters that what God has asked them to do is work a job in America, make plenty of money and support mm. lots of missionaries overseas. That's right. like, that is, that, that is the check that, that, you know, they had to slide across the table and they've done it. They've done it in obedience and faithfulness to God. Because yeah. um, who else would fund the mission if people weren't willing to like absolutely. give and, and absolutely. make it happen? Yeah. Right. So I, I don't say that um, like everyone is, you know, supposed to be an overseas missionary. I, that's, I don't believe that at all. Yeah. Um, I believe that we all need to play a role in what God is desiring, which is to see his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Like that, that's what he desires. And he is making that become true that he is doing that now. Um, and we get to play a role in it. It's a privilege for us to get to play a role in it. So, um, I guess, I guess that's kind of my response. Like, yeah, yeah. Choose obedience, choose to slide that check across the table. And, um, it may be scary to, to see what he asks you to, to do. But, um, and I think what can like segue us back into your story is that actually <laughs> what's so encouraging about all this talk of like holy discontentment, you know, just cut this really raw obedience, blank checks, these things. It's almost like if I don't have much insight into the goodness of God, I hear that and I think, well, perfect. I'm a slave. Like that sounds, that sounds kind of rough or, you know, kind of cold or anything, but 
the more we hear your story, Jake, people are going to hear that you were deeply loved all in this process. Like you had great, you, you took great delight in the father that whole time. Mm. Um, you weren't miserable. I mean, obviously you had awful circumstances at times when it was very challenging. I don't mean that you were un- unfazed by the world, but rather, I mean, in this type of like obedience and, and following Jesus and, and um, yeah, living a life of just of following him, you actually experience such joy in the father at that time too. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what sets apart any kind of like idolatrous slavery that we'd experience any other time in our life that we're choosing right. not to follow God. It's like, yeah, you are a slave to this thing or like to your sin or whatever, and it's going to be miserable. But this is not like that. Like you were, I don't know. Uh, I, anyway, so I want to keep going in your story because I know that there were so many good things that came from this that were so life-giving in that time. And you weren't just like, you had no say in the matter. You know what I mean? Like you weren't just like forced to do something and you had to get over it. And and anyway, so I want to keep, I want to jump back in because after you experienced this calling, you were in the armpit, you were on the survey, then what, how'd you make the decision of going back to South Asia? Yeah. <clears throat> so we... Like I said, when we left the city, we kind of felt like, yes, that's that's the place. Like that's where we feel like we should go. And so we started communicating that to our church and to our friends and family. And um, we joined Pioneers officially. And as a part of that process for joining, you know, there's you know all sorts of uh, evaluations and 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 you know committee meetings and things of the sort as as you go through that all amazing stuff. And one of the things that came out of that, one of our requirements before we could go to the field long term, was um, <laughs> was to be married one full year before we left in the so, states. So to stay put. in the states, right. yeah, in the states, just kind of experience life, you know, um, as a married couple for a year before you go. So we were like, okay, sounds very good. wise. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, we were married on October 11th of 2008, and we were. We landed in the we landed in city on October tenth of two thousand and nine. So, um, and then our first full day in country was our one year anniversary. So, wow, we wanted to make sure we capitalized on every moment. And totally, we, like, we wanted to get there. That's we were chomping at the bit. That's yeah, sure. um, that's right. Yeah, it was it was awesome. We we absolutely loved it. And you know, living in the city that we were in, it's it is a very very spiritual place. Um and part of the reason that a lot of people who have been there struggle in that city is because of the deep deep dark spiritualness mm. that's there. Right. Um and when we joined the team that was there and and started you know um really diving deep into adjusting to that city we had advice from some other foreigners that were there and this is what they said guys jacob melissa when you wake up every morning it is going to be difficult and you're going to have to push through and you're going to have to just overcome the darkness around you and and pursue and you know all this kind of stuff and we were totally like whoa 
like, what did we get ourselves into? Yeah, you that's know? shocking. It, yeah, it was. It kind of like scared us. Yeah, to our core. Like, oh my goodness. And the way that that kind of translated was just survive in this city. The the success is survival. If you can live in this city, you are winning. And I'm thinking like, you know, about a year later into us being there, I'm like, no, like, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I don't want to just wake up in the morning and think like, okay, I've got to bear this and I've got to endure what the day is going to hold. Like, no, I want to wake up in the morning and feel refreshed and feel excited for what God's going to do today. You know, yeah, like yeah. that's that was the the life that I wanted to lead. If I was going to be in this city that is difficult, that is challenging, like that's that's the type of life that I want to lead. But it was it was probably more a decision than it was anything else for Melissa and I. Like we have to do this. We have to commit to this. And so- So was the reason that man, the worker there told you that was maybe just from his own experience of like, just like you said, the spiritual darkness. Is that kind of why he gave you that disclaimer of like, hey, you can expect this? Or was it just, I don't know, like what what do you, what made you feel like he wanted to speak that kind of for you or prepare you, I guess? Yeah. A hundred percent. That's what it was. Um, okay. Yeah. It was definitely his own experience. Um, okay. He had okay. had a rough journey and it was kind of one of those like, don't let what happened to me happen to you kind of thing. I mean, it was it was said in love, but it was still poor advice. Right. Because um, it kind of set it set your mind on a trajectory of like every day is going to be difficult instead of like, what is the Lord going to do today? Yeah. You know, yeah. like what am I going to get to witness here in this wonderful place today? Totally. Um, so we just had to kind of have that different perspective. Um, yeah, it took yeah. us probably a solid year to really get there. To not be experiencing maybe what he had spoken over you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. So you're still in your first year um, in this brand new country, brand new city. It's all wild. Um, tell us a couple of things about it. You know, what were you learning? What were the people like? Um, did you have a job? I mean, what was going on that first year? Yeah. Woo. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you can, in one in one sentence. <laughs> yeah, so the the city that we lived in was kind of like you know, like I mentioned, is a very spiritual city, very holy city, um, and so there were lots of you know shrines and temples and um, and mythology stories that were there, like all sorts of crazy, crazy, amazing stuff, you know, yeah. um, that people from all over the world travel to this city to come and see some of these things. So um, it was a pretty powerful city. So my role in that city actually was a tourist guide. Um, so no way. People, yeah, it was awesome. As people would come to the city, I would get to take them around and I would, I would, you know, take them on boat rides. We lived in a, in the city that we lived in, it had this, you know, really cool river. And so I'd take them down the boat and, um, wow. you know, explain all the different sites as we went along the river and that kind of thing. And then, um, there's like all these little gully ways, these little alleyways that I would take them through and, and walk them through the ancient city. So, um, it has been continuously inhabited for about 6,000 years. So it's one of the oldest living cities in the world. Um, so it's very, very famous, uh, very, very special to, to a large population in the world. So, um, that was my job. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing that makes this kind of fun is like 
basically what that means is it is my job to go hang out in the city, find new places, meet new people, try new restaurants. Like that was my job. Darn, right? Yeah, it was the worst. awesome. <laughs> it was amazing. It was a dream. Yeah, wow. Um, and so when people would come, I would take them not to just, you know, this store that I found, but I would take them to my friend who owns the mm, store, you know, so it was right. a, a yeah. very different kind of relationship that I ended up having with shopkeepers and, and restaurant owners, things of the sort. Yeah. Um, where I was able to build those friendships with those people, not just, you know, it wasn't just transactional. So, um, really, really cool stuff, um, to be a part of in that, in that way. Um, as a part of being able to engage all those groups and all those individuals, that's when I was able to share the gospel in a more organic way, in a way that made sense, um, in their own language. Yeah. Um, I was able to, you were learning the language when you were there. You, were you in school or how did you learn it? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. Every single day I was in language classes. Um, literally every single day, um, attempting with everything in my power to learn this (laughs) language and to learn it as quickly as I could. Um, it took me a solid, like two years probably to, to be even conversationally fluent. Um, so, I mean, it took some time, but you, you get to a, a good healthy point. And again, because I was out in the city every day, doing my job, I had plenty of opportunity to practice and to fail and, (laughs) uh, and, you know, to, to kind of find my way. So in relationship with, with those shopkeepers and the restaurant owners and, and just people that I met on the street and things of this sort, that's when I was able to share the gospel. That's when I was able to start sharing more about who I am which if I'm living a life in accordance with what I believe, then it should be pretty obvious that I'm a follower of Jesus. It should be something yeah. that's very natural um, for them to hear the story of Jesus just by hanging out with me. Like that should come up. You know, if I'm living a life uh, that that I should be, talking about Jesus should be something that happens regularly. And so I'm, I was doing my very best to make sure that I did that with these people that I met. And that ultimately leads to discovery Bible studies or, or DPS, DMM, uh, disciple making movements, which is the methodology at least that we were using to, to help church plant in this particular location. And so you'd see these people that would wrestle with this idea of Jesus. Um, they had very few qualms about accepting Jesus as a God. That wasn't necessarily a problem. The problem was Yeah, I was gonna ask of, because you said it was a spiritual country. <laughs> so it's like if they're if you are just kind of living your life and sharing about your God, I was wondering, like, did that fall on their ears so well? Cause they were like, Oh, great, you know, more more spiritual things to talk about. Or was it divisive or what was what was kind of the reality? No, it wasn't divisive at all. Um it was that that was one of the beauties of living in a city where where they are very spiritual people. Right. Yeah. Talking about spiritual things is (laughs) like talking about the weather, you know, it it, it was very easy, um, to bring up spiritual matters. Um, 
I can't tell you how many times that I just said something as simple as like, wow, God's given us such a beautiful day today. And they'd be like, oh, well, what God do you worship? You know, like, yeah. oh, well, who is your God? Tell me about him. You know, like that, that was not difficult. The, the challenge was when we would say, well, I believe that there is one God. Right. And, um, you know, he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us. Like, the, that's when things kind of got a little wonky, was a little more like, gritty. Yeah. trying to be a little more specific about it. So, were they um, coming into your home for these discovery Bible discussions, or like, were you, where were you all gathering to talk about it? Yeah. A um, couple of thoughts there. The first one is, Yes, we did have some in our home, but generally speaking, just from a contextualization standpoint, there's a fancy word, but to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from that standpoint, we preferred for them to be in the home of nationals that were there, not sure. in our home. Just you want to steer clear, at least in this particular context, of Jesus is a Westerner or Jesus is a foreigner. Um that's not how we wanted to portray him. And many of them, the pictures that they have seen, Jesus is white with blue eyes, you know, and you're right. like, uh, this is not, this is not an accurate Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we wanted to kind of push away from that. So we were very um, careful about where we held Discovery Bible studies. Oh, I love in. that. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Um, I think that just even helps. Like you said, you, you don't want to replicate a, a Western experience for people mm-hmm. who don't live in the West and they don't understand Western culture. That's not the idea is to just imprint on them everything that happens back where you grew up. And so I love that you wanted to develop trust around these conversations about Jesus and the Bible in the homes of people who, like you said, it would contextualize to be what they would naturally experience, which is being in their own homes, you know, their their families' homes. And and I don't know. So I'm really glad that that was something like a model that your team was kind of devoted to. That's really powerful, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, and maybe to build one more piece onto that, um, you know, working in partnership with nationals to do this was incredibly powerful and 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 an opportunity for us to, as a team to learn and to grow. And, um, you know, one of those areas as it pertains to contextualization is like, again, back to that Western mindset. When, when you say I'm a Christian in, in the West, that's, you know, that is deemed, um, a religion that you follow. Um, it's not necessarily your identity. It's just, there, there's a separation between you. You can be an American and not be a Christian and you can be a Christian and not be an American. It's kind of right. how like yeah. we view things in this particular context. Those two things are, are not mutually exclusive. Um, the religion that they follow is to also say that they are a citizen of this country. Um, and Interesting. so when you, when you try to divide those waters, it doesn't make any sense culturally. Um, it, it, it is the equivalent of me saying, oh, well, I'm an American. Therefore, I'm a Christian. You're like, oh. wait, what? No. Yeah, that doesn't yeah, work. yeah, yeah. You know, in their context, it does work. That is exactly how it goes. So for someone to say, I am a Christian in that context implies in some way like I have 
I have thrown off my citizenship. I am no longer, you know, considering myself to be a part of this community even. Which would um, that be heartbreaking for someone there? Or is it like, oh, no big deal. I mean, like, well, what's the pride of like being a citizen? It's heartbreaking for them personally and and very, very likely a stumbling block for them to ever say yes to Jesus. Um, but equally as important, especially in a very communal um, culture, a very collective culture, you are essentially shunning your family and your friends um, when you take on the title of Christian. And so one of the things that we learned in that process was um, there is a way for you to kind of avoid that, that within their religion, you can follow one particular God and not worship any others, just one. And the term is called a bhakta. And it means like devotee. And so you can follow one specific God with that term. So with the bhakta terminology, that means that they can identify as being devoted to one God, but still have the identity of being a citizen in that country. You got it. You got wow. it. Wow. So the way that that plays out is you can be a Yeshu bhakta. Um, you can be a devotee of Jesus. And so you can stay within your context. Um, you can stay within your community, but be a follower of Jesus. And that is perfectly culturally acceptable. Um, so those, those learning moments in those first few years of living there were incredibly powerful and, and helped us to, to really see again that that global perspective that God has just a totally different view than what we have and um, to be able to start to understand that the church with a capital C um, is a beautiful tapestry of all different colors that's right and yeah. um, this is this was just one example of that that we will have American Christians you know standing in heaven holding hands with Yeshu Bhaktas. Yeah. from South Asia. Um, oh, good night. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful, a beautiful picture. So do you know anyone? Do, do you have friends there who chose to be a Yeshu Bhakta um, yeah. that you can recall? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's one story that, that I just, I always love to share and I need to kind of proceed with this part of it. Um, we faced some pretty substantial visa issues after about five years of being there, and we were forced back to the States. Um, and on my final day in the city, I got a text from one of my very good friends, um, uh, a national, a very, very good friend of mine. His name is Raj. And Raj goes, hey, what do you want to do today? And I said, Raj, I, I want to do the same thing that you and I have done three, four times a week for the last, you know, four years or, you know, however long it was. Yeah. Um, I said, I want us to go have breakfast at that little breakfast place. And um, and he goes, oh, yeah, that's of course. Let's do it. Let's do it. So we went down there. It's one of these places, Emily, where you get your belly full for like 10 cents, you know, just like you eat and you eat and you eat, you're totally stuffed. And the, you know, the guy's like, all right, well, that'll be 10 cents, 12 cents, whatever. You're like, yes, that's <laughs> um, where's this place in America? Right. Um, so we left there. And the next thing that we would always do is we would go down close to the river and we would drink tea. 
we'd stand there, we'd just drink tea together, kind of look over the river, whatever. And so that's exactly what we did this particular day and, and this, you know, in the morning. And the weather was nice. I remember it was kind of an overcast day, but the two of us are standing there and just talking. And another guy goes driving by, you know, one of these little scooters, you know, and uh, my friend Raj waves him down. The guy's name was Sadhu. And he goes, hey, Sadhu, would you stop just for a minute? He's like, yeah, yeah, of course. So he pulls over, parks his bike, and Sadhu walks over and stands on the other side of me. So I have Raj on one side, I have Sadhu on the other. And Raj waves over to the person who sells tea, says, hey, would you bring him some tea? So he brings him tea, and I'm standing there, the three of us now, in a row, drinking tea. And I pulled out my phone, and I took a picture of the three of us just standing there. It was kind of one of those, like, this will be my probably my final time doing this. You know, what a special moment. I want to capture it. Well, I'm going to fast forward about six months later. I was in the States and I was doing a training and we were talking about being cross-cultural and some of the, some of the impacts of that. And, and one of the ways that you can handle cross-cultural difficulties, you know, kind of that culture shock component is to make great friends with nationals. It's a great way for you to be able to overcome that culture shock. And so that's the topic that we were discussing I put this picture up on the screen. I don't know. There were probably 20 people in the room or something as I was doing it. And I looked up at that screen and I just went to tears. And I was, you know, trying to pull it together, you know, just I'm not a crier by any stretch. And so it was just one of those like, this is humiliating. I'm so sorry. I'm like apologizing to them. Just yeah. You know, I just Bear with me. <laughs> um and I'll tell you, it, I, I wasn't crying because I missed them as much as I do. And I wasn't crying because I wish that I was there or something of the sort. That's not why I was crying. I was crying because I realized in that moment that Raj is of the highest class possible. Sadhu is of the lowest class possible in this culture. In fact, there was a time in the culture where if Sadhu, if his shadow crossed over Raj's shadow, Raj would have to go do a whole ceremony to purify himself because of, quote, the filth from Sadhu. It's that deep. And I'm standing between these two men, both of which follow Jesus. And the picture, the reason that I was crying was I just realized in that moment, the bridge that Jesus builds, even cross-culturally, that he takes the highest of the high and he takes the lowest of the low and he has them drink tea together. And as I look to that picture to this day, it is probably the most impactful picture for me in the sense of I had amazing experiences in South Asia. I got to do and and I got to do amazing things. I got to spend time with amazing people. But 
what really, really mattered was that I was able to witness the work of the Holy Spirit in this place, that I was able to witness firsthand Jesus taking the highest of the high and the lowest of the low and bringing them together. What a privilege. What a joy to be able to to do that, to be able to see that right in front of you. It was by no work of my own. It wasn't. It, it wasn't anything that I did. In fact, like as I've as I've gone back and and thought of this story over and over and over again, the thing that always kind of is just so fascinating to me was I wasn't the one who ordered the chai for Sadhu. Raj was. Raj is the one who said, hey, bring him chai. You know, like he was the initiator that said, I want to have chai with the lowest of the low. Um, it's just so beautiful. It's 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 such a beautiful picture of the grace of God and being overseas, calling, you know, call the call me a missionary, whatever. I got the privilege of being able to witness it. And it's something I will treasure for the rest of my life. Uh, I'm absolutely beside myself over here. This stinking story. <laughs> it is absolutely amazing. Uh, you're right. This just, this is a, this is the poster child of the grace yeah. of Jesus, especially in the place that you thought was going to be the armpit of you know <laughs> your life. I mean, this is the place where God told so many stories. He revealed himself to these unlikely people. They didn't do anything to deserve it. And yet they stand drinking tea together, look overlooking the river, overlooking God's flowing creation. And you were a witness. I'm just, oh, wow. All from, you know, the time in your life when you were um, working at Publix and there's this <laughs> coworker who says, hey, come with me. And you went. And so unfolds the story of Jake's life when um, he got to witness so many people um, come to know Jesus. Uh, I can't thank you enough for this time, Jake, because your story, I mean, it's just so exciting. I love all the dips and the turns and everything that we <laughs> we walk through today. Um, and for you, Melissa, your family, your obedience, your kindness. Um, Wow, it's also powerful. And now you live here in the States and you raise children and you work for an org where you get to help other people solve problems and and uh I don't know, fit yeah, fix human-centered problems and, and be able to be more effective in their work. And I just I don't know. I'm really grateful for you and for your story and your time today. Thank you so much. Oh, Emily, it's a privilege. Um, you know, I hope to always be a good steward of the stories that God has given me and uh, I think that's exactly what you guys are doing here. And that's just a privilege and a joy to be able to jump on here and, and spend time with you. So thanks for the invitation. I am so glad y'all got to hear my time and my conversation with Jake. I love his stories and I really hope you did too. We have 11 Edge Trip still available. So if you're interested in taking a short-term missions trip this summer, you can learn more about those trips going all over the world at pioneers.org slash edge. And edge is spelled E-D-G-E. The deadline to apply is March 7th, so don't wait. Go ahead and visit our site now so that you can start an application. Edge was the trip that Jacob took early on in the episode where he described being in Africa for 10 weeks. So we want you to have all the same opportunities, just like Jake, to go overseas this summer. So apply today. <laughs>